Do you think we're alone in the universe? Is it possible that there are other worlds and other beings that inhabit them? What if those beings wanted to communicate with us, but weren't sure how, like, receptive we'd be? So they chose a vague, artistic way of saying hello, a crop circle, just to test the waters. But then again, what if it was all an elaborate man-made hoax? But then again, again, how can you explain a group of people, strangers to each other, watching a crop circle form with their very own eyes, without a human nearby to make it happen? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who's running out of quippy ways to introduce himself after only 21 episodes. This week, crop circles, elaborate interstellar communication method, or international hoax. One of the first stories that got people talking about crop circles began one morning in January 1966, when banana farmer George Pedley in Tully, a town in North Queensland, Australia, was driving his tractor through his farm past a lagoon. George heard a high-pitched hissing sound. Assuming it was a pierced tire, he stopped the tractor to check, but immediately saw what he later described as a flying saucer rise up at great speed from the lagoon and zip away, disappearing into a cloud of blue vapor. After registering his complete shock, he went to investigate the site from which he saw the object rise. There in the lagoon, George found what looked almost like a massive nest of flattened reeds fused together, floating on the surface of the water, spinning clockwise. It was almost 30 feet across. Later in the day, George called his friend Albert to check it out. It seems to me, if you see a flying saucer and a floating nest from where it took off, you call someone immediately. But George was like, wow, I just saw a UFO. Oh, well, these bananas aren't going to pick themselves. Maybe he was a man who really had his priorities in order. One, harvest bananas. Two, call friend about UFO sighting. When Albert got to the lagoon, he waded out in to get a closer look and noticed that the reeds weren't just bent over, but rather, it looked like they'd been pulled up by their roots. At this point, one of the men alerted the media. I'm guessing it was Albert, since George seemed to be taking a slightly more laissez-faire approach to the whole thing. When the local press arrived, two more smaller circles were found. In one, the reeds went clockwise. In the other, they went counterclockwise. Also found was a six-by-five-foot rectangle of empty space in the reeds, where the reeds had seemingly been pulled up from their roots and were missing completely. Soon after, another local farmer found another three circles of reeds, one with a scorched center. The Royal Australian Air Force was brought in to investigate these anomalies, and I feel like if the military is investigating something like this, you know they have more information than they're letting on. Like, the Air Force generally has more important things to do, I would imagine, than look into reports of crop circles. So if they are looking into it, 
someone higher up knows some shit we don't, you know? Several Tully locals reported having seen similar circles in the past and that they usually happen during the wet season. And according to UFO researcher and Tully resident Claire Noble in an interview in 1992, people had reported circles in reeds and sugarcane before 1966, but no one seemed interested enough to look into it, which is weird. Like, maybe there was that one city official who always brought it up at city council meetings and everyone else rolled their eyes and were like, oh, there goes Bob with his obsession with possible alien activity again. The meeting notes are like, Councilmember Bob again brought up inexplicable circles in nearby sugarcane field. Tenth this month, suggested looking into it, was overridden by vote to spend funds on new microwave for the office. Apparently, it wasn't until George Pedley found the weird circles on his banana farm that anyone was like, maybe we should look into this? Even George was like, meh, news about the flying saucer and weird, nesty crop circle of reeds can wait. To be fair, maybe your average banana farmer doesn't want to be known as the guy whose banana farm is infested with mysterious crop circles. This was before everyone knew about crop circles and no one knew what they were. To this day, we're still not sure who or what is carving up the planet's crops. So what is a crop circle anyway? Why do they show up all over the world, and do they mean anything? If you're like me, you never gave crop circles much thought. Until researching this episode, I thought they were just circles. I figured they were made by dudes wearing overalls and riding tractors, pulling pranks on their neighbors. Yes, I knew some people claimed crop circles are evidence of aliens and UFOs, but I assumed it's the way we blame most mysteries on aliens. But... Crop circles have apparently existed long before tractors did. People have been claiming to see them for centuries. About 10,000 crop circles have been recorded all over the world, mostly since the 1970s, with a weird uptick in crop circle sightings happening in the 90s for some reason. Also, England seems to get the bulk of them with 85% of the overall reported sightings. Not sure what's going on over there across the pond. Cereologists, who, despite what the name might suggest, don't study breakfast cereal, but in fact study crop circles, which is an actual field of study, like to point to ancient accounts of fairies and elves dancing in fields, leaving circles of flattened crops behind them as evidence of ancient crop circles. Which seems like a stretch to me. Ancient accounts of fairies and elves dancing in and trampling down crops is, if anything, proof of people believing in fairies and elves since ancient times. There's also a pamphlet from the 1600s about a story of someone not wanting to pay to have their farm mowed. And so the devil came and mowed the field in such a way, the man claimed, that would have been impossible for a human which again seems less like proof of crop circles in ancient times and more like proof that someone wanted to send a message that if you don't pay your laborers, the devil will come fuck with your stuff. 
There are even some who believe that crop circles are mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls. However, the passage believed to reference crop circles, like almost every passage in the Dead Sea Scrolls, reads like someone leaving a voicemail while driving through a tunnel. There are so many holes and inferences about what's in those holes that to claim to be able to interpret it at all is suspect. Here's part of the passage with some of the holes filled in. Holy ones will remember. Lights will be revealed to him. They will teach him everything that human wisdom and every wise man in the lands and he shall be great. And later, of the hand, too, it left a mark from barley and lentils equal on and tiny marks on his thigh. Did you get crop circles from that? Yeah, me neither. And I'm not sure how anyone is getting any wisdom from crop circles, but some do claim they contain messages. More on that later. Also, they're not just circles. This was another thing I didn't know. I thought all crop circles were circles with maybe a couple straight lines connecting them. Maybe half circles or even Venn diagrams if they were super fancy. But it turns out some crop circles are pretty intricate and really beautiful. In 1996, at 5.30 p.m., a pilot was crossing over Stonehenge, delivering a passenger to a nearby airfield. Neither the pilot nor the passenger noticed anything unusual below them as they flew over the Stonehenge area. After dropping the passenger off, the pilot refueled and took off again and crossed the same field near Stonehenge at 6.15 p.m. At this point, he noticed a mist over the field and a formation appearing, seemingly completely on its own, in the crops of the field. The passenger he had dropped off was driving by the field around the same time and reported seeing something similar. Meanwhile, a woman I'll call Mrs. Maysbury, because that sounds very British to me, was driving by Stonehenge, which, don't laugh, but I always thought was in Wales, and also not, like, just a place you drive by all casual-like when you're just out running errands or whatever. Anyway, as she passed Stonehenge, she saw cars pulled over on the grass opposite the stones. And while Stonehenge is a popular tourist destination, it's not like people just pull off the road and stare into a field. These folks weren't even looking at the stones. As she got closer to the rubberneckers at the side of the road, she noticed the weird mist. And someone said, there's a corn circle forming. Corn circle is what the English call crop circles. Don't ask me. Who knows? They eat beans on toast for breakfast. I love the English. A car pulled out and Mrs. Maysbury snagged the empty spot. She got out and joined the crowd of other people who were watching what was happening. There was an apparition. There was a mist. Was about two to three feet off the ground. It was sort of spinning around, and, and on the ground a circular shape was appearing, which seemed to get bigger and bigger as simultaneously the mist got bigger and bigger and swirled faster. I didn't understand what was happening. The mist 
wasn't anything from the ground as there was a clear space between the ground and the mist. There was no wind, no dust. It was the strangest thing I have ever seen. I felt, my God, what is going on? Look what's happening. Are we going to see a leprechaun or the men from Mars or Sputnik in a minute or something? Mrs. Maysbury guessed she stayed to watch for maybe 20 minutes and that when she left, the mist was still there and she didn't know if the formation had stopped growing or not. And like, I get it, 20 minutes is a long time and like, maybe she left the oven on? But like, could you imagine walking away in the middle of that event? What could be so important that it could pull you away from a real life magic show, you know? My parents had tickets to Woodstock, the original one, in 1969. They packed up their car and headed from Brooklyn to Bethel, New York, more than 100 miles north, up to what would be one of the world's most iconic and important music events ever. An event they would surely later be able to regale their children with stories of. We were there, man! But the traffic was too heavy, so they turned around and went home when they were almost there. Mrs. Maysbury walking away in the middle of watching some kind of phantom mist create a beautiful pattern out of crops in broad daylight feels like that. Only replace stoned hippies with actual alien activity. Anyway. The crop circle that formed in the field by Stonehenge that day in broad daylight with many witnesses is called the Julia Set, named for a super complicated math fractal. A fractal is a shape formed by a simple repeating process. Fractal shapes exist in nature, conch shells, trees, fjords. These patterns are created by nature doing what it does, forming predictable and repeating patterns. What if the Julia Set formation was actually a strange weather event? After all, we still don't know what Stonehenge is. Couldn't it be possible that there are earthly phenomena going on that we just don't understand? Also, Southern England, maybe take a couple cameras and start monitoring the area? Of course, crop circles forming in the middle of the day with people standing around to see it is not the norm. Most of them seem to appear overnight, leading many to believe that they're created by pranksters with too much time on their hands, and maybe a super big protractor. In 2011, scientist Richard Taylor wrote an article claiming that on a July night in 1996, he heard three men whispering over a large piece of paper in the parking lot of the inn he was staying in in Wiltshire, about 19 miles from Stonehenge. He said they conferred for about 15 minutes before speeding off into the night. The next day, 194 crop circles were found in a 115-meter radius in a nearby field. As far as I can tell from the photos, the 194 circles make up one design that basically looks like three Julia sets put together, forming a sort of swirl pattern. We'll have the pictures on our social media. The area around Stonehenge and nearby towns tends to get a lot of crop circles. One year, 93 crop circles were found in and around Wilshire and the Stonehenge area. 
Is it possible the three shadowy figures from the parking lot in 1996 pulled off carving a mathematically complex fractal into the nearby crop fields? And could they be responsible for all of the crop circles in the area? And if so, how? And also, why? If you're going to put that much time and energy into an elaborate hoax, wouldn't you eventually want to come forward and reap whatever benefit that might afford you? Also, you'd think after the first 10 or so, people might start trying to catch the culprit. If these things really are being built by people at night, wouldn't they need some kind of light to see what the hell they're doing? You'd think someone might have been caught in the act by now. Also, these shapes are huge. They span many feet across and can really only be appreciated from the sky. How are a couple of people on the ground pulling these things off in the dark? But it would seem that if it was these three people pulling off some long con, they not only managed to carve beautiful designs in the crops, they also somehow managed to change the molecular structure of the crops themselves, which isn't humanly possible. So if the crop circles weren't made by humans, who made them? Seriologists, the people who study crop circles, and just a quick side note here, it took me hours of reading and writing for this episode to realize that the reason the study of crop circles is called seriology is because the crops in which the crop circles are usually found are cereal crops. Wheat, corn, barley, etc. It takes me a while to get there, folks, but I get there. Eventually. Also, why not call yourself a crop fractologist. Instead, you chose a term that invokes Tony the Tiger. Anyway, seriologists note some genuine scientific anomalies found in and around some crop circles that they believe prove they're not human-made. According to Seriologist magazine, which was an actual thing, some of these anomalies are changes in the cell structure of flattened stalks, consistent absence of entrance marks to the fields, alleged malfunctioning of electronic equipment in or near the circles, migrating birds swerving away from the fields, observation and photographing of unexplained lights over the circles, registration of strange noises and electronic equipment in or near the circles, positive or deleterious changes to people's metabolism or state of being inside or near the circle. Also, the seeds of plants in and around crop circles have been shown to be stunted, although when they're planted, they actually grow faster. There's also evidence of high heat being used in the creation of some crop circles. Not just the singe marks, but the nodes on the stalks of plants have been burst outward, suggesting the water inside the plant basically boiled and burst through the stem. How would pranksters pull off something that complicated? In 1991, David Chorley and Doug Bauer announced they had been making crop circles all over England ever since the Tully Lagoon crop circles that George the banana farmer found in 1966 inspired them. Unlike the lagoon nests where the reeds had been sucked out of the ground by their roots, though, Chorley and Bauer's circles were really just trampled crops. They created the designs, they said, by using a board and string. 
The two demonstrated their techniques for news crews and some experts. They even managed to fool one supposed expert who, to be fair, was like, okay, you did this one, but did you also do the one they found in Canada, like, yesterday? It only took a cursory investigation to see that Chorley and Bauer's circles differed pretty significantly from other circles. First of all, when they tried to demonstrate their technique for the press, the circles and lines weren't geometrically precise, and the patterns themselves were pretty basic. Also, the stalks of the plants weren't evenly bent. In crop circles of unknown origin that are not obviously hoaxes, each stalk tends to be bent precisely, and usually farmers claim that the crops are still harvestable. Chorley and Bauer's crops, on the other hand, were unusable. They were actual serial killers. Thank you. I'll be here all week. So why did Chorley and Bauer finally come forward after decades of pranking Southern England? Apparently, scientists were starting to take the crop circle seriously and were approaching the British government for money to investigate. And even the queen was starting to be like, this seems like more than just some fairies and elves. Chorley and Bauer didn't want to be the cause of wasted tax dollars, and they certainly didn't mean to hoodwink the queen. It's estimated the pair only profited about $6,000 in total between the two of them with talk show appearances. They didn't even get a book deal out of it. Which just begs the question, what the hell was it all for? In interviews, they just seemed to be like, teehee, we were having a laugh. Which, you know, get your kicks where you can, but this just seems like a weird way to go about getting your jollies off, you know? Crop circle experts seem to agree that even if these guys were going around southern England trampling on fields with boards for the fun of it, it didn't explain the hundreds of crop circles all over the rest of the world. Some of these crop circles, though, are the product of corporate advertising. In more recent decades, companies have used crop circles in viral marketing campaigns. Some of them are obvious, logos or slogans. Others are designed to look more like traditional crop circles to stir up chatter. And Lord knows, I didn't study advertising, but it seems to me that putting a cryptic ad way out in a field somewhere, hoping someone flying low enough to see it will take a picture and then post the picture online and maybe other people will pick up on it, just seems like a lot of work for very little return. Spotify recently commissioned a series of crop circle portraits to promote some country singers. The folks at Comedy Central had a massive Cartman carved into a crop field to advertise a new season of South Park. And in 2018, an ad agency paid a farmer a bunch of money to let them carve fuck Trump into his field, which was directly under Trump's flight path on a trip to the UK. Fuck was written in Russian, though, so I'm sure he thought it said, Welcome, Supreme Leader for Life, Trump. That's my Russian accent. The general estimate is that 20% of crop circles discovered cannot be easily attributed to earthly construction, whether that's hoaxers or multi-million dollar companies. 
A couple of people with wooden boards and string, or even a huge corporation with fancy equipment, may be able to carve patterns into a field, but they can't change the magnetic field or alter how crops grow. So what about the ones we can't easily explain away? The ones that look like jellyfish or flocks of Art Deco birds. The ones that are clearly not made by a couple of dudes in overalls on a tractor. What about the seeds that are altered? Well, you know what they say. If you don't have an answer, blame it on aliens. But before we get to the aliens, there are those who believe that crop circles are messages from time travelers. Dr. Horace Drew, a molecular biologist, believes that at least some carvings are messages from people in the distant future to their past selves who live in our present. There are definitely humans living there in about 5,000 years with time travel capability. They're coming back and flying all over Earth. They seem to just say, this is a certain day, and mark it. So the trouble is, we don't know space-time physics enough to understand what's happening. It's beyond our knowledge. Maybe they don't want us to know about it. It might be just for them. I would love, just for one day, to have the kind of confidence Dr. Horace Drew does. Just to be so free and sure that you have no problem being like, Psh, obviously people exist 5,000 years in the future and are sending messages to themselves. I'm not even confident to know what pronouns to use day to day. And like, okay, you know me, I'm no molecular biologist, but isn't there an easier way? Couldn't they just sort of slip a note in a library book or spray paint a smiley face on a tree? Ooh, nice callback. Or leave a note in a mailbox? It worked for Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. Also, what is the point of time travel if you don't go back and warn people about the really bad shit? A heads up about the Great Plague of 2020 would have been nice. A warning that The Apprentice would lead to the downfall of our nation? That old chestnut kill Hitler? And I get that you're not supposed to fuck with the space-time continuum. I'm kidding. I don't get that at all. But honestly, I don't understand the point of time travel if you're not trying to fix things. No one ever says, oh, I wish I could go back to the moment he broke up with me and just watch it passively. And furthermore, she said with great conviction, if you're messing with the molecular structure of the seeds of the crops you're carving your hidden messages in, then aren't the hidden messages themselves fucking with the space-time continuum? Dr. Drew, the scientist, not the radio personality who doesn't believe in COVID, believes he has decoded some of these messages from our future selves. Some of the messages were... Much pain, but still time. Believe, there is good out there. Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. We oppose deception, conduit closing. Is it just me, or is it a little weird that the messages are in English? Like, wouldn't it have made more sense for future us to communicate in a more commonly spoken language, like Chinese or Spanish. I guess we're pretty lucky that the person who came up with this theory and who was able to decode the messages spoke the decoded languages the messages were written in. 
And now we get to our favorite fall guy, aliens. Someday when aliens do get here and find out all the things we've blamed them for, they'll be like, we literally have technology to travel at the speed of light, and you think we're going around probing human butts? I guess in the case of crop circles, I am inclined to believe that they are the work of extraterrestrial beings. That doesn't make it any more understandable. I get that George, the banana farmer from Queensland, Australia, said he saw a flying saucer and then the mark supposedly left by said saucer was generally saucer-shaped. But are there UFOs shaped like giant jellyfish? Or shaped like flights of Art Deco birds? Or are the aliens using other equipment to carve the more intricate formations? Do they have little plows that bend each stalk exactly the same and somehow heat up the crops? And what are they trying to tell us? Why not just say hi? Do they just like to watch us all scramble to try to solve a mystery? Do they like listening to podcasts about it? Oh my god, do you think aliens are listening to this podcast? And what about that formation near Stonehenge that seemed to appear out of nowhere under just a cover of mist? Maybe there was a ship hovering over that field, but it was under an invisibility shield. Or the aliens have figured out how to carve up our fields from millions of light years away. And again, what are they trying to tell us? Seriously, what are they saying? Now, just because I think aliens are the most likely theory for how crop circles are formed, it's not my favorite theory. My favorite theory comes out of Tasmania, where the Tasmanian Attorney General, Lara Giddings, spoke at a parliamentary hearing on the security of the country's poppy crop. Australia supplies the world with 50% of its legal opium. Who knew? Giddings said to Parliament... The one interesting bit I found recently in one of my briefs on the poppy industry was that we have a problem with wallabies entering poppy fields, getting as high as a kite, and going around in circles. Then they crash. We see crop circles in the poppy industry from wallabies that are high. Stoned wallabies, kids. Stoned wallabies. Man, these poppies are good, eh? They sure are, Bob. Much better than leaves and grass, eh? Yeah, Bob. Whoa, I feel funny. Do you feel funny? Yeah, I feel real funny. Like my head is floating or something. Totally. Hey, you know it would be so hilarious? What's that, Bob? Why don't we hop around in circles, trampling on the poppies so the humans think aliens were here? Oh, I'm so down, Bob. But what if Lara Giddings isn't too far off? What if there is an animal out there, a microorganism or an insect that can plow crops into fractals and we just haven't invested the time or money into monitoring the fields of South England to have caught them in the act yet? It's not impossible to think that maybe some crop circles are intricate insect nests. Of course, that wouldn't explain the giant jellyfish or the Art Deco birds. It also wouldn't explain the heated and singed crops. But then, what does? Is it aliens? Is it all a giant international hoax? Is it a weird weather pattern? Is it a microscopic organism? 
Is it our descendants in the future sending us useless information? Or is it wallabies that got high on poppies? Or is it a combination of all those things? Until someone starts staking out the crop fields of the world, we may never know. Next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan, Monsters of the Deep. What was that that just brushed by your leg while you were out swimming in the lake? It couldn't have been a dinosaur, right? That's ridiculous. Dinosaurs are extinct, right? Maybe it was an alien? You may never get in a lake again. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me and researched by Jess McKillop. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Lauren Hooper and Raymond J. Lee. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. <laughs>